morning. All right, that was good. Good stuff. Didn't have to repeat that. All right. Glad you could be here this morning. And uh, this is live, right, Aubrey? Yes, sir. So I know Pastor Chris is watching this. What's up, Pastor? How you doing, man? Yeah. 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 I'd like to tell him, I truly wish you were here because if you were here, I'd be sitting back there somewhere. All right. But, but, but thank you. You know, it's great to be here this morning, have an opportunity to, to share God's word with you. You know, this is a tough job. I know Paul Revere and I talked last night, uh, yesterday, and we were just talking about, I said, man, I'm glad I don't have to do this every week. You know, I said, so, and so I have so much appreciation for Pastor Chris. So one thing I said I'm not going to do, I'm not going to make this thing any harder on myself or fool myself to thinking that I'm going to come up and give you my best Pastor Chris impersonation on preaching and teaching. You know, because the one thing I truly know If God wanted someone to stand up here and preach and teach like Pastor Chris, then Pastor Chris would be standing up here. So he he didn't call me to be Pastor Chris, but he called me to do what he's called me to do the way he's called me to do it. So that's what I'm going to try to do for you this morning. You know, as I think about this before we get in and pray, you know, I always think about this time when we come to church. And, you know, you come here, you're expecting pastor, you're expecting something else. And do you really know it's not about you? I remember, you know, reading the book, The Purpose Driven Life, when it came out almost 18, 19 years ago, and I just got so, the the title of the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and I was just thinking about, man, this is about me, my purpose, and all that other stuff, what I wanted, and I never forget, some of you that read the book, you go to the first sentence of the first chapter, I read that, and I had to close the book, because the first sentence of the first chapter said, it's not about you. (laughs) Do you know being here this morning is not about you? It's not about what you get out of it. It's what God gets out of you being here this morning. It's all about him. God said, now, what am I going to get out of you being there this morning? What am I going to get out of your worship? What what am I going to get out of that? So it's not even about us. So as we come here this morning, I just pray we come with our hearts and our minds ready to hear a word that God may have for you uh, today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity you give us today. Lord, to just call on your name, to trust you, and Lord, that you'll speak to us. Lord, just quiet our hearts and our minds. And Lord, just give us a desire, Lord, to leave here today armed and ready, dear God, to to bring honor and glory to your name. Father God, I give you honor, praise, and glory for all that you're going to say and do. Give me clarity of thought and speech, Lord. Allow your word to flow, dear God, and we'll give you honor. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know... The coach in me comes out, as I, you know, had the opportunity to coach for 32 years, uh, coaching 28, 29 playoff games, three Super Bowls. And I always continue to say every time I speak, even when I was sitting in the locker room before those games, nothing is like how I feel before I sit, before I come up and God gives me an opportunity to share his word. It's a, it's a different feeling. It's a different weight. It's a different type of responsibility that God has given. So I I feel the weightiness of this, it's just different. You know, I I get excited about the games and all that other stuff, but God is always, every time this is just, it's just something different. And I thank God that he's allowed me to understand that it is different. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, you know, the coach in me comes out because I think about what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He said, let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds not forsaking the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. 
As I think about those words from that writer, he's talking about what's happening here today. I think about, and I talked about this when I spoke on Anniversary Sunday, about the concept of the huddle. He says, let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking the gathering together. And as we gather together, as we come together today as believers, as we come together as those who are in Christ, man, we are coming in the huddle. And he says, and how we can encourage each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. I was a quarterback in college, and I remember uh, going in the huddle. And we'd get in that huddle, and as a quarterback, they would say he's the only one that would speak. And I would go in there, and I would give words of encouragement. I would give words to challenge guys. I would give words that would warn guys, and I would give words of instruction. And so that was what would happen in the huddle. And that's what's happening here today as we come to the huddle to be encouraged, challenged, warned, and instructed. But the one thing I knew that happened in that huddle was we were going to break the huddle. We had to leave the huddle. We didn't stay in the huddle. And the thing that we were supposed to do when we left the huddle, we were supposed to leave the huddle differently than what we came in. So we have to leave the huddle differently because you were in the huddle. You got encouraged, challenged, warned, instructed. Now we leave the huddle. But the other thing that was important was we had to apply what we got in the huddle. There had to be application to what we got in the huddle. Otherwise, why come to the huddle? You know, otherwise, why, why come to the huddle if you're not going to apply what you get? So I, on offense, you know, sometimes we would get 60, 65 plays in a game. So 60 or 65 times in a game, guys would come to the huddle get encouraged, challenged, warned, and instructed. And they had to break the huddle and they had to apply what they got. You and I have that opportunity today as we come to the huddle to apply God's truth of what, of what he's saying to us. We need to apply the truth because information with application leads to transformation. Information without application in the life of a Christian is insubordination. See, information without application in the life of a believer, that's insubordination. So what I think of, I say is this, transformation is the indication of the application of the information. And that's what we want to see here today. So we want to apply the truth of what we get right here. And you know, when I spoke to you on uh, Anniversary Sunday, I ask you a question. And I always like starting out by asking a question. And I quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, where it says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that you receive from God, that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And the question that I ask you, you may not remember, is I ask you this question. Is Christ getting what he paid for? In your life and in my life, is Christ getting what he paid for. We celebrated Easter Sunday last Sunday, and we talked about the blood. We've been set free. The question that I have for you and I have for myself is, is Christ getting what he paid for? And you can almost answer that question somewhat by application. Is there application of the truth in God's word? Do I apply it? Pastor Chris asked you a question last week also. He says, is Christ your cornerstone? All of those questions, you can come up with an answer based on application. Am I applying the word of God? Is God's word gone from being milk to meat? Do I flesh it out? Do I live it out? Do I break the huddle? Do it, does it leave this building and go to my home or my job, in my community, wherever I'm at? Is, is it being lived out? 
Are my words, my work, and my worship, my conversation, conduct, and character, is it affected, impacted by God's word? Man, is Christ getting what he paid for? I think we all understand that because I know I want to get what I pay for. I know that. You know, Paul's my real estate agent, and we bought a house, and, man, we got guys doing warranty work over there. And I, and I say with, to the builder, say, man, look, man, I want to get what I got, what I paid for. Man, our Lord and Savior, he wants to get what he paid for. Tony Evans, we had a chance, Sharon and I, to go a couple weeks ago, and he had an impact weekend, and it was a great weekend down there. And some of you have heard him, you know, one of the greatest teachers and preachers that we have. Just like the pastor, we have Pastor Chris. I think about Pastor Chris, his teaching and preaching. I think about Pastor, and I think of Tony Evans, I think of him in the same way because there was so, so much similarity in him. As I stood with Doc Evans that weekend, and as I've been with Pastor Chris, I said, they got the art and the heart. And that's what I said, man, these guys got the art, the ability, and the heart. But Doc Evans was talking about the kingdom agenda, and he, and he defines the kingdom agenda. You know, Doc Evans got so many books out. He's got kingdom agenda, kingdom marriage, kingdom single, kingdom man, kingdom woman, kingdom disciple, kingdom church. He got all kind of kingdom stuff going on there. And so we were down there, and so he was just talking about, and we had a chance to see firsthand just what God has done. And what I would say that got me was I saw the faithfulness of God what God was doing through this man, just the faithfulness. But the thing that I want to talk about when he was talking about the kingdom agenda, he said the kingdom agenda is the visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. The visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. And then he gave a definition. He said what a kingdom person is. And so I say that and then I'll get into my message. Uh, what he's talking about a kingdom person. And so we can answer this question and find out, is Christ getting what he paid for? Is Jesus my cornerstone? He says a kingdom person is a person that places themselves under the rule of God and lives their lives in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Instead of choosing their own way, a kingdom person seeks to know the will of God and carry out his kingdom agenda while here on earth. When a kingdom man and kingdom woman function according to the principles and the precepts of the kingdom, there will be order, authority, and provision in their life. And if they don't, they open themselves and those under their influence to chaos. Is Christ getting what he paid for? Do we place ourselves under the rule of God? Is Christ getting what he paid for? Do we seek to know the will of God and carry out his kingdom agenda while here on earth? Is Christ getting what he paid for? Do we function according to the principles and the precepts of the kingdom? So this is a question. We can do some introspection right now. And we can ask ourselves that and just be honest with ourselves. I watched this cable program, uh, this program, I think it's called My 600-Pound Life, and it's about people that have uh, dealing with weight problems and, and had these surgeries and stuff. And so this one story really got to me. I was watching it as this lady was going in and she wanted to have this surgery. And what would happen is you'd have to lose a certain amount of weight before the doctor would do the operation. And so she would go in and so she met with the doctor. And he said, okay, I'll do the operation, but you got to lose so much weight. So he said, I'll see you next month. So she comes back next month. First thing they do is they put her on the scale. She gets on the scale. She's lost a couple pounds. Well, based on where these people were at and the diet he had put them on, they should be losing 60, 70 pounds a month. So coming in, this lady lost a couple pounds. The doctor wasn't feeling it. 
So he comes in, he says to her, hey, you know what? You've only lost a couple pounds. You, you got to do better than this. So she gave him some excuses. So then she said, I'll see you next month. So then she comes back the next month. She gained weight. Came, she had gained weight. And this doctor, you could tell he was a little ticked at this time with her. And so he comes in there and, you know, and he says to her, you know, hey, you not only didn't lose weight, you gained two pounds. And she started. She said, well, you got to understand, you know, my husband just got a new job. We just moved, and the kids are involved. And before she could get the third excuse out, that doc, the doctor said to her, he said, you know, and he had a little accent too, the only person you're kidding is yourself. What we got to do when we become introspective of where we're at is we got to make sure we're not kidding ourselves, because that's the only person we could kid. The only person we're kidding is ourselves. Let me talk to you this morning. What the title of my message for you this morning is, Possessing what God has promised. Possessing what God has promised. Turn to me, turn with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1. I love this story. I've read this story so many times, but I love the story about Joshua. As Joshua, as we'll read, it's commissioned. He is, Moses is dead. He's getting ready to take him into the promised land. And so, so let, let's just read verses 1 through 9. And then after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness to the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do all according that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I want to stop right there. It's interesting how it says you'll have good success. Evidently, there is a success that's not good. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As I think about this story, Joshua is getting ready to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, into what God had promised that he was going to give them. But when God has promised us something, we have to possess what God has promised us. And I like this story because it's, it, it gives a formula. And I think that I, I, my daughter gave me permission. I remember when I met her boyfriend some years ago, and I sat with them and asked them a question. As we sat, I met him. I was coaching with the Titans at that time, and we were playing uh, Jacksonville. So I met him down in Jacksonville, and we were in a hotel, and I sit there with my daughter and, and Isaac, and we sat there. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, my wife and I want God's best for Siobhan. I said, ever since she was born, we've been praying, we want God's best for Siobhan. And then I turned to him, I said, I don't know you, I'm just meeting you for the first time today. But you know what? I want God's best, and my wife wants God's best for you. 
said, man, we want God's best for you. So I turned to my daughter and I asked her, but the question I want to know is, do you want God's best? Because I can want God's best for you, but do you want God's best? And she said, yes, I do. And then I turned, I said, do you want God's best? And he answered, yes, I do. I said, then if you want God's best, you got to do it God's way. See, what, I, what God is saying through Joshua right here, he's giving them a formula. He's giving them a prescription. He said, do you want my best? Do you want to possess what I have promised you? Then God said, you got to do it my way. See, in order for us to take what God has promised us, to possess what God has promised us, we got to obey God's word. We got to claim his promises, and we got to fight the good fight of faith. And I like this story right here because God has given Joshua the formula, a prescription, if you would say, of how we can go in and possess what God has given us. And I think even though he's given this uh, to Joshua in this situation, you and I can apply it in our lives because you and I want God's best for our life. This is just what God had promises. But do you want God's best in your marriage? Do it God's way. Do you want God's best in your job, in your career? Do it God's way. Do you want God's best with your finances? Do it God's way. Because as we're going to find out, the only way we can find out what God has promised us and we can possess what God has promised us is to do it God's way. There's no other way we can experience it. So when the question I asked my daughter and her boyfriend, well, do you want God's best? You would think that's crazy. No, but then you got to do it God's way. So I'm excited as, as I read through this story right here. And, and God, what he's done in this thing is he's told them what they have to do to possess it. And then he tells them why they'll be able to possess this thing. This is exciting. In a short period of three and five verses, God repeats it. He says it three times, and I know you know what the phrases are. In verse 6, be strong and of good courage. In verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. And you need to understand, this word, this, this phrase, be strong and courageous, is used 15 times in the Bible, and most of the time it's used in the book of Joshua. But what God is implying, what he's saying to Joshua, that is he said, be strong and courageous and obedient. What God is saying to Joshua is he's telling Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous in order to be obedient. I want to say to you today that I truly believe that our problem is not, we're not lacking for information. What we're lacking is the courage to do what God has called us to do. God told Joshua, he says, man, be strong, be courageous. Man, I, I came to the conclusion, I think we can all conclude, it takes courage to walk with God. It, it takes some intestinal fortitude. It takes some belief to walk with God. And a lot of times the reason why we're disobedient to God, it is not because we don't know what to do. It's because we don't have the courage to do it. We don't have the courage to stand alone. I don't have the courage to say I need to get out of that relationship. I don't have the courage to say I don't need to go there. I, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't, I don't want nobody thinking I'm some Jesus freak or something like that. Man, God says be strong. Be courageous. Be obedient. I even like in verse 18. 
As Joshua talked to the two and a half tribes of the children of Israel, they were going to see the other tribes in, and they were going to come back because they were promised the land on the east side of Jordan. How even those people, after Moses had told them what they were getting ready to do, and those people said to Moses, hey, Moses, we're going to do what you say to do. We'll go where you say to go. And if anybody doesn't do what you say to do, we'll kill them. And then they gave him a reminder. Hey, hey. But Joshua, they said, hey, only be strong and courageous. Even they know to walk with God. For us to walk with God, we got to be strong. We got to be courageous. We got to be obedient. When I was coaching in Seattle, we were playing the NFC Championship game for the right to go to Super Bowl 48. And we're playing the San Francisco 49ers. And so what happened that week, we, they were in our division, so we had already played them twice. And so, man, it's going to be rough playing these guys. So we go in there, and so we're giving, I'm giving my running backs the game plan. Say, hey, man, we're going to run this play. And I'm giving them some coaching points. I said, okay, this coaching point, we're going to run this inside zone play. I said, here's what you got to remember. You got to press the hole. I said, man, press the hole. You got to go up to the feet of the lineman before you make a decision. I said, in your thinking, you got to think that no cut is the best cut. And then you got to read your key and you got to make a decision. I said, now that's what you got to do to run this play. That's what we got to do to be successful. You got to remember now, press the hole. No cut is the best cut. And then when you get to the feet of the lineman, read your key. And I said, you need to understand that because when we play these guys on Sunday, man, it's going to get rough out there. It's going to get rough. So we're playing the 49ers, and, man, it's 14 to 10 and a half time, and we're trying to run that play, and, man, they're banging us up. I mean, we're getting one yard, two yards, and all this other stuff. It's not going as well as we had thought it would. Maybe. So all of a sudden, I look over there on the sideline, and I see my running backs, Marshawn Lynch and some other guys, they're grouped up with these other offensive linemen. And so I go over there. I said, well, let me go over here and see what these guys are talking about. So I go over there, and the stuff that we were talking about that I told them to do, they're over there making up stuff. <laughs> they're making up stuff. I know, I know they said to do this, but hey, hey, Marshawn, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, and when we do this, you do this. And then, and then you do this, and they'll do that. And so I'm standing over there. My guys would always say to me, Coach, I can always, you don't have to speak. I can just look at your face, and I can tell what you're thinking. So they can look at my face. So the lineman walked away, and Marshawn said, I don't even need to ask you what you're thinking. I said, no, you don't. I said, stop making up stuff. I said, what do we talk about all week? What's the coaching points that we gave you? What's the coaching points? Press the hole. Think no cut is the best cut. Read your key. Believe what I'm telling you. I said, that's what you need to do. What I was saying to Marshawn was, I know it's rough out there. Man, I know, man, it, you know, things may not be going the way you want to. I was saying to him, man, don't be discouraged. Don't get distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't start doubting. Don't be fearful. Man, understand what we told you to do. Be obedient. I, I almost was saying to Marshawn, be strong. Be courageous. Be obedient. So we end up going out there. And it's, we're losing the game 14 to 10, and we call this play, and we go out there, and we run the play. And we're 52 yards from the goal line. We're losing 14 to 10. Marshawn runs the play, and 52 yards later, he's in the end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown. We, we take our first lead in the game. And so I'm at one end of the field, and Marshawn scored on the other end. So I'm walking down there, get ready to congratulate him. And Marshawn is coming back, and he's animated, and he's making all this noise, and I can't understand, what is he saying? What's he screaming? Guys are trying to congratulate him, and he's just gyrating. What's he screaming? 
And I got up to him and I could hear what he was saying. I was about 10 yards from him and he was screaming, press the hole. No cut is the best cut. Believe you read, read your key. He just kept saying it, press the hole. No cut is the best cut. Read your key. And that's what I'm talking about for us as believers. What God is saying here, three times he said to us, be strong, be courageous, be obedient. He said, man, don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't start doubting. Don't be fearful. Believe what God has said. Be obedient to what he says. He said, it's going to get rough out there. He says, but man, don't start making up stuff. Because that's what we do. We start making up stuff. And we wonder how we got in the situation that we're in. So be strong. Be courageous. Be obedient. Then God gives them the three reasons why. I love it. He gives them three reasons why. He told them what to do and how to do it. Be strong, courageous, and obedient. Then he gives them the three reasons why they could be obedient. In verse 5 and 6. God says, no man shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Only be strong and courageous. Be, for the Lord, for this people, you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. God has given three reasons in here why we can be strong, courageous, and obedient. The first reason why God gives us this, God says, because of God's promise. God says, my promise is a sure victory. The next reason why God gives them is that God says, because of my word. God says, my word is a sure guidance. And then the last reason he gives in verse 9, he says, because of his presence. God says, my presence gives you sustaining power. So in verse uh, 5 and 6, God says that we can, we can stand strong, be courageous, be obedient, not distract. He said, because of his promise. Man, God has made promises to us. And let me tell you something. God we can't obligate God. God obligates himself to his promises. God has made promises to us that the only way we can claim what he's given us is through obedience. The 23rd Psalms, God has given us a promise that he obligates himself to. God says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leaves me beside the still waters, restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right there in the 23rd Psalm, God has given you and I five promises, but it's based on verse 1 where the psalmist said, where David said, the Lord is my shepherd. It starts right there. We can't possess what God has promised us without obedience. David didn't say the Lord was my shepherd. The Lord might be my shepherd. I'm thinking about him being my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is my mother's shepherd, my father's shepherd, my pastor's shepherd. No, he said the Lord is my shepherd. That's what you and I have to be able to say. We have to say that based on we know that we're applying God's word. We know we're not talking about perfection, but, man, the goal is to do it God's way. So, man, can I say, man, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said, my sheep, how do I, my sheep, they hear my voice and they obey me. There's, it's, it's obedience. 
So God's, there were five promises he gave in there. God said, I'll meet your spiritual needs. I'll meet your directional needs. I'll meet your emotional needs. I'll meet your physical needs. I'll meet your eternal needs. If you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Man, God has made some promises that we can claim today. And besides spiritual, emotional, physical, directional, and eternal, what other needs do we have? What other need do we have? So that's a promise that God made to us. But the one that I really want to hit on is the promise that God made to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For God says in his word, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I prepared in advance for you to walk in. I got to tell you something. Those, those verses right there are loaded with promises. Loaded with promises. And we can possess those promises. The thing that I will tell you in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 is not only must we believe the gospel to be saved, we must believe the gospel to live saved. God has given us his word. He said, I made a promise to you, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. He says, it's a gift of God. It's not by works. You won't be able to boast. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What a promise God has given us. He said, it's not your effort that gets it done for you. It's what Christ did for you. He said, that's a promise that I give you. And how do we possess that promise? Through faith, through obedience. So we can possess God's promise right there. So we must believe the gospel to be saved. But oh man, verse 10, it's full of some promises too. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to walk in. It's so exciting. As I look at that verse, it says right there, verse 8 and 9 says, you haven't been saved by works. But verse 10, God says, but I saved you for works. He says, you're my workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which I prepared in advance for you to walk in. I just got to tell you, there are seven promises right there in verse 10. Seven promises that God gives us in verse 10 that we can claim it. I get excited about it. Real quick, I'm going to give them to you. First of all, he says we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for us to walk in. First of all, we are God-produced. He said we're, we're God's workmanship. I'm not theory of evolution, the, the great bang theory, any of that stuff. God says, no, man, you are my workmanship. You're mine. I created you. You're my workmanship. That promise, I lay hold of that promise that God has given, that I am his workmanship. He said, in Christ Jesus, that's what defines us. That's what defines you and I. What we do does not define us. What defines us determines what we do. And what we're defined by is we're in Christ Jesus. So I'm not only God-produced, I'm God-powered. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus. So, man, I'm God-produced and I'm God-powered. I like the next part. He said, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So not only am I God produced and God power, I'm God purposed. God said, I created you for a purpose, for good works. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which art in heaven. So God has let me know in verse 10, he says, man, I created you for works that will glorify me. So man, here it is, check it out. I'm God produced. I'm God-powered. 
I'm God purposed. He says, and works that I prepared in advance for you to walk in. There are four more promises that you and I can take from that that we can claim through obedience to God's word. I'm God produced. I'm God powered. I'm God purposed. So God, if I'm God purposed, he says, so therefore you need to know that you're God placed. You'll be God placed. Through obedience, God says, I got you. You'll be God placed. The next one is, you'll be God provided. God says, now I will provide for you. Next one, he says, you'll be God partnered. Oh, man, I thank God. The first thing that he said wasn't good in the Bible, that man should be alone. He said, but, but I'm going to make for him a helper suitable for him. I thank God for my partner that God has given me. I'd say my number one partner right there, God has given me. So we're God produced. We're God powered. We're God purpose. We'll be God placed. We'll be God provided. We'll be God partnered. And we're God promised. Man, we live by God's promise. So, man, God says you can be excited. The reason why you can be strong, courageous, and obedient, God says, because of my promise that I've given you. God said it's my promise. I obligate myself to you. When I was coaching with the Redskins, I remember we were in a situation up there, and we were getting ready to get fired. After two years, man, we go up there getting ready to get fired. I had coached in the league for 20-something years, and I'm getting ready to get fired for the first time in my life. And so here it is, Dan Snyder, man, he's breathing all these threats, I'm going to fire you. And so I just remember, that night we played San Diego. We finished up on the West Coast, we fly back. As soon as we land in Dulles Airport, they come up to Jim Zorn, the head coach, and say, you need to go back to Redskin Park, we're getting ready to fire you. You know, so basically that's what it was. So I remember I'm driving home, you know, man, we're going to get fired. And I remember quoting this, and I'm talking to God. I said, God, you said that I'm your workmanship. I was created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared in advance for me to walk in. I said, God, I left Tennessee and came here because you said to come here. I said, now show me the work. Show me the work that you got for me. You obligate yourself by your word. So, God, show me the work that you have for me. You supply. You provide. And, man, that's, and I, that was the strength and the confidence that I had. So we can look at God's word and, and we can have confidence because of God's promise. The next reason we can have confidence is verse 7 and 8, because of God's word. God's word is a sure guide. God's word is a sure guide. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, for it says, For all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God is adequately equipped for what? Every good work. Wait a minute. Let me back this up. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works that glorify your Father which art in heaven. Ephesians 2, 10 said, God said, you're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God says, I've given you my work so that the man of God is adequately equipped for the good works that I saved him to do. God's word is a sure guide. God's word is the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to do it God's way. You want God's best. God said, do it my way. Don't be discouraged. Don't get distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't start doubting. Don't be fearful. Don't start making up stuff. God said, do it my way. God's word, four things it tells us. God's word will teach us what is right, what isn't right how to get right, and how to stay right. That's what God's word will do for us. God's word is that guide. What is right? Teaching. What isn't right? Reproof. 
How to get right, correction. How to stay right, training in righteousness. That's what God's word will do for us. So God's word, he says, you can do it. You can be strong and courageous because of my promise. You can be strong and courageous because of my word. And then the last one, God says, we can be strong and courageous because of his presence. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's presence. Man, we got to understand God's presence. You can't fake God's presence in your life. You can't fake it. If you've experienced God's presence, man, you, you know you can't fake that. I think about my younger brother. On September 13th in 2016, my younger brother had come out to Seattle. He wasn't feeling well. And he came come out. He was going to be at our opening game that, that year. And, you know, he wasn't feeling well, didn't have insurance. He needed to see a doctor. I got our team doctor. I said, Doc, you need to take a look at my younger brother, man. Something's killing my brother, Doc. Something's killing him. The doc said, man, you have your brother come in. We'll take a look at him. He came in on Monday, looked at him. He said, no, he, he needs a CAT scan, an MRI of his lower abdomen, abdominal area. So I'm at work on Tuesday. I'm calling my brother from work. Hey, man, have you heard from the doctor yet? Have you heard from the doctor? No, no, no. So I get home about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and I walk in the door. And I'm walking in the door right as my brother's getting off the phone with the doctor. And I can tell it wasn't good. He put the phone down. He said, man, I got cancer. I got cancer. So I was just going to wait. I wasn't going to say anything. I'm going to wait to see what my brother has to say. God's presence. He looked up at me and said, Sherm, don't worry. I'm going to be okay. You can't fake that. Because if you know who my brother was, my brother said, if this would have happened a couple years ago, he said, I don't know how I would have handled it. He said, man, but I'm going to be okay. Well, I tell you, he was hopeful. That was September 13th. Five months later, February 13th, God took my brother home. And as we got a chance to sit with him, I got to see God's presence, the power that God gave him, sustaining power as he was going through that situation. I think about Ken Hutchison, the guy that led me to Christ. When he blew his knee out, he's sitting on the table with ice packs on his knee. And man, his career, and they told him his career is over with. And I walk in the locker room to talk to Hutch. And Hutch smile, has a smile on his face. And it's not because of painkillers. And he says, Sherm, man, I'm excited to see what God has planned in my life. Sherm, I'm a Christian. And nothing happens in my life that's not filtered through God's hands first. I'm excited to see what God has planned for my life. God's power. God's presence, man. That was, you can't fake that. You can't fake that kind of stuff. And Pastor Jerry and Donna know when Hutch was out in Seattle and standing against the same-sex marriage and threats were made on his life, threats were all kind of stuff, man. We had people around the church that probably had were carrying guns because people were threatening to come up there and kill our pastor. And man, Hutch stood before a group of men, and you can't fake it, as he stood before this group of people and he says, I fear no man that walks this earth. I only fear God, God's power because of God's presence. And then my own situation, I remember, like I said, we're getting ready to get fired in, in uh, Washington. And so Dan Snyder, man, he's going around. This cat, he's threatening, man, I'm, not, I'm a fire guys. I'm not going to pay you and all that other stuff. Oh, man, who does this cat think he is? You know, he won't have no job if it's for me, all this other stuff. So I wrote on my, in my whiteboard in my office, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. For the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And I wrote it on the board in red 
a pen. So it had red pen. I wrote it on the board. But then what I did, I took a black pen, and over the M and man, I wrote a D. So when you wrote it, it you read it, the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. What can Dan do to me? And I remember Jim Zorn walked in my office. He said, man, you better take that down. Dan's going to hear about that. I said, I want him to hear about it. I want him to know. Then I put under the body, God is my source. God is my strength. Man, I'm not Dan Snyder. I don't fear Dan Snyder. Man, God's power because of God's presence. So, God, we can be strong. We can be courageous. We can be obedient because God has made his promise to us. Because God has given his word to us. Because God says, I'll never leave. Because of God's presence. If you've experienced those things, then we understand we shouldn't get discouraged. We shouldn't be distracted. We shouldn't be deceived. We shouldn't doubt. We shouldn't be fearful. We shouldn't start making up stuff. We just need to be strong, courageous, and obedient. Turn to verse uh, chapter 24 as we get ready to close this. In chapter 24, verses uh, 13 through 15, there's another part of this if we want to possess what God has for us. And I like how now all of a sudden that was God speaking to Joshua in chapter 1. But now in chapter 24, Joshua is now speaking to the people. And there's another thing that we got to understand. It's just like I said when I asked my daughter and our boyfriend, do you want God's best? Let's make sure we understand what Joshua is saying to the people there so we understand what it's all about. Verse 13 through 15, I have given you a land. Now, before this, Joshua is giving them a history lesson. He's taking them back to the beginning. He's giving them a history lesson. Man, here's where we've been. Man, here, he goes back to Abraham. He's talking about all the things that God has done. So he's taking them up to the present day where they're at right now, to present day. So he says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you serve. And everybody knows this one where Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What Joshua is saying to us right now, saying to you and I is, we must choose. See, I can want God's best for you. You can want God's best for you. God wants his best for you. But God says, you must choose. Choose this day who you will serve. We got to make a choice. And we make that one choice to, to, to join in a relationship for salvation. Because when I asked my daughter and her boyfriend that question, I wasn't asking about salvation. That issue was already covered. This choosing right here is, man, do I choose to walk with God? Do I choose to say, God, I want to possess what you have promised? I choose to serve you. And you can tell what Joshua says. He says, now, if, it's, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, because he had already concluded in their mind they didn't want to serve the Lord God. He says, now, maybe you want to serve the God that your forefathers served on the other side of the river. And you know what happened to them. Or maybe you want to serve the God of the Amorites and who lands we do. I just told you we're living in the houses that they built for you. He said, but you got to choose this day. We must choose. We got to make a choice. Who we're going. It's a choice. And we have to make that choice daily. 
That's a daily choice. Lord, I choose you to be strong, to courageous. That's one way we do it, man, because of a conviction, because of the discipline. Say, God, I choose you. So I want to just share this with you as we break it down. It's all about choices. And God has given you and I, just like Joshua gave the children of Israel right there, after they got in the promised land, he gave them opportunity. He said, man, I'm going to give you a history lesson. So all they could do is go off of the history that Joshua had given them from that point, you know, forward. You and I, what you and I can do, we can read Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. We get a history lesson. Not only do we get that history lesson, we get the history lesson of our life, the life that we've lived the experiences that we've had, the things that we've learned from other people. We, we get to learn from that also. And we get to still make a choice. We still get a chance to choose. We still get to say, what do we choose to do? Who do we choose to serve? And so one thing I want to do, I just want to share four or five things that I've learned that I've learned from choices, choices people have made, choices others have made. And maybe you've learned some of this stuff also. So I, I, I titled it, Lessons learned. Let me tell you the first thing that I've learned from history. The first thing I've learned from history is I haven't learned from history. The first thing I've learned from history, maybe the first thing you've learned from history is you haven't learned from history. We haven't learned from the mistakes that other people have made. We can look at Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, 21. We can look at all the years of our life, and we can look at the mistakes that other people have made. And we haven't learned from their mistakes, let alone our own mistakes. We continue to make our own mistakes. The one thing we've learned from history is we haven't learned from history. So we can't be hard on, on, on these children, the children of Israel, and say, man, if, if God had led me by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, no way I wouldn't serve God. Man, we got the lesson, man, and we learn because, man, we, we look at it, we haven't learned from history. The next thing that I've learned as I look back in, in, in history and from Genesis to Revelation, Revelations in my own life, the one thing I've learned is to tell you this, nobody said it was going to be easy. I've learned that going in, possessing what God has for us, no one said it's going to be easy. Coaching the, with the Titans, we go into the NFC Championship game. We're playing the AFC Championship game. We're getting ready to play Jacksonville, the year that the Titans went to the Super Bowl. And so here it is. We played them twice that year. Their record was 14-2. and two. They won our division 14-2, and two, and we, the Tennessee Titans, were a wild card team with a 13-3 and three record. Jacksonville's two losses came to Tennessee. We had beat them twice. We're the only team that beat them all year. So here it is now. We got to play them for the third time. We got to go back down to Jacksonville, play them for the third time in this championship game. Man, beating the team three times in a year, that's tough. And the games that we had played uh, with them before, they were tough games. I mean, man, we're, we're fighting these games, man. We're, we're winning by field goals, a touchdown. It, it was hard. So I could tell that we can practice. Guys were a little tense, man. What are we going to do, man? It's, you know, I got to go down the third time. So I start telling my guys, I said, man, let me tell you guys something. This game doesn't even have to be close. We can blow these guys out. It doesn't have to be close. Yeah, man, we're going to go down in their house, and we're going to blow these guys out. So all of a sudden, man, guys got a little pep in their step. Yeah, man, we can blow these guys out. So we go down there, and they win the opening toss, and unlike they do today, the teams would take the ball when they, they won the toss. So Jacksonville wins the opening toss. Whew, they go down, they score a touchdown in about four plays. They had never scored a touchdown almost that fast that year. 
and you can see the deer in the headlight look on a lot of our players, man. They look like, <laughs> blow them out, you know. What? And I remember standing there with, that, with our group of guys, seeing that look in their face. And I remember the thing I said to them. I said, hey, nobody told you it was going to be easy. Nobody said it was going to be easy. We end up winning that game 38 to 19. We're on the goal line at the end of the game taking a knee because we didn't want to rub it in too bad. And we had got a touchdown call back earlier in that game. So really, we had scored over 50 points. We could have scored over 50 points. And we blew them out. Nobody said, once again, it's going to be our Christian life. As we can look back in history, we got to understand, no one said it's going to be easy. The next point I'll give you, school will test you on what you know. Life will test you on what you believe. Life will test you on what you believe. When we were in Pastor Chris's, uh, Paul's class, he would give us quizzes. That tests us on what we know. But, you know, life will test you on what we know. Is God sovereign? Yep, I write that down. Yep, God is sovereign. Is God, yep, God this. And God's like, yes, he can. But then life happens. And life will check you out on do you believe that. School tests you on what you know. Life will test you on what you believe. The next point, you never find in sin what you went there for. Sin will take you further than you thought you'd go. Sin will keep you longer than you thought you'd stay. Sin will cost you more than you thought you'd pay. You never find in sin what you went there for. Now, I want to backtrack because God brought this back to my heart, this point about it not being easy. The one reason why it's not easy for us is this, and this is something God just put on my heart. Psalms 128.1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. God is saying the result, the benefit of walking in God's ways is blessed, will be blessed. Or some other translations say, how happy is he who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The one reason why we make things hard on ourselves is, is because what we're doing is we've made the benefit the goal. We've made being happy the goal. And God says, no, no, the goal is to please me. And the benefit that comes from that is you'll be happy. When we start trying to find our happiness and our satisfaction apart from God, that's why it gets hard. That, that's why it's hard because we've got the order mixed up. We think, and that's why we start making up stuff because we figure like, man, that won't make me happy, so I'm not going to do that. Blessed. How happy is the person who fears God? Fearing God simply means takes God serious, who walks in his ways. He says, you will be happy. So we find that our satisfaction and our true happiness comes from God. I want to share a story with you. Uh, George, you can put that one picture up there if you will. One of the things that we talk about choices, as we talk about choices, one, one thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9, God says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. He says, if you sow unto the flesh, you shall from the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow unto the spirit, you shall from the spirit reap eternal life. And then he says, and let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time you shall reap if you do not become weary. You know, God has given us a principle. He says, you're going to reap what you sow, more than you sow, and later than you sow. But God said, you're going to reap 
what you sow. Now, we said we're free to choose. We're not free from the consequences of our choice. God gets to pick the consequences. Man, and that's some good stuff. And God is a good and a, and a, and a great, glorious, gracious God towards us. Right there, that's a picture of a young man. His name is Dylan McCullough. Dylan McCullough, I know Dylan. I start. I knew Dylan when he was a senior in high school. First time I met him, he was a senior in high school. We had just moved back from Seattle to uh, living back in Ohio. I was coaching at my alma mater, Miami of Ohio. And so my hometown is Youngstown, Ohio. And so I got to recruit my area. Dylan was a running back that played at Campbell, Ohio High School. You know, you could walk in your front door, be in Youngstown, walk out your back door, and that's Campbell. That's how close they were to each other. So Dylan was it. So I, I, so I recruited Dylan. And Dylan became, recruited him, and he came to Miami of Ohio. And I got to coach him for a year before I left to go to the University of Illinois. So I coached Dylan. And we maintained a relationship throughout, throughout the years. So Dylan played at Miami of Ohio. Man, he was a Hall of Famer at Miami of Ohio. You know, he played a little pro football, had some injuries, went into teaching, did some teaching, went into coaching, started his, high, his college coaching career at Miami of Ohio, just like I did. And then, you know, then he went on uh, to University of Indiana. He coached running backs at University of Indiana for six years. Last year, he was the running back coach at USC, and now he's a running back coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. So this, this young man, he's a great young man. So, I, you know, so we maintain a relationship throughout the years. He even came to Seattle and did an internship. We had this minority fellowship intern program during the summer where you bring coaches in. And Dylan came out one year and did an internship. And he was my intern. You know, he's running back and all this other stuff. And I said, man, do your thing. And so, you know, so he, so he did that internship. So we stayed in contact. He called me, man, we just had a child, you know. Blah, blah. So, you know, we had this relationship. So I know this, this cat's cool, man, and, and Sharon knows him, you know, and Sharon loves him and so man. So we, so we know Dylan. So, so I get a call from Dylan about a week before Thanksgiving, and Dylan calls me up, and he says, he texts me, he says, I need to talk to you. So it's November. Usually what that means is it's time. Job offers are being coming up. You know, usually that's the time people start making movements. People start coming after you. So I said, let me get back with Dylan to see what's going on. You know, hey, man, what, what's up with him? So he calls me, so I call him back, and he says, uh, he says, man, you know, he said, I got to talk about something. He said, he said, you know I was adopted. You know, yeah. He said, you know, he said, he said, I started the process of looking for my biological parents. He said, man, I just had some questions. You know, man, my personality, why, why do I talk the way I talk? You know, he, he, just, he said, man, I just want to know something about myself, you know, my history. He said, so I decided, man, I'm going to pursue this thing. I'm going to try to see who my parents, you know, find out who my parents are. He says, and I found out, he said, and I found my biological mom. He said, just on Monday, uh, I found the state of Pennsylvania sent me my birth certificate. He lived in Ohio, but he was adopted in Pennsylvania. They sent me my birth certificate. So he said, I got my birth certificate, and it had the name of my biological mom on it. And so, oh, man, that's great news, man. I'm amen with this brother, amen, hey, man, hey, all right. And so he says, yeah. You know, so he told me her name. And as soon as he said her name, I said, uh-oh. Uh-oh. He said, and I asked her, who was my dad? He said, and she didn't hesitate. She said, you. You talking about reaping what you sow later than you sow? Yeah. I said, is that right? Well, when he said a name, I, like I said, you know, hey, man, I, I, you know, back I was in high school, 16, 17 years old. Yep. He, his biological mom and I, we did have a relationship. And she did say at one point, she said, you know, she thought she, she was pregnant. 
but she had uncertainty. And those uncertainties, she, she never said anything else to me about it. So I figure I'm good. You know, I've seen her. I've seen her years past. We talked, and she didn't say, hey, guess what? You got a son, so I'm good. So when D, he calls and tells me that, I'm glad I was sitting down when he told me, you know. I said, man, life. Dylan even joked on me how my voice changed after that. I went from praising God to what? What you talking about, man? You know, so, so. So we, so we go through this. So anyway, make a long story, so, so make it longer than what it needs to be. So we go through this process. I tell man, I got to process. I said, Dina, man, I got to get up front. I need to process this. This stuff was heavy. Man, this was heavy. This, you know, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I, I just want to tell you right now, that's not how you want to find out. I, I will tell you that right now. So I said, I, so I said to Dina, I said, Dylan, I cannot say for 100% that I know I'm not your father. I can't say that. But I can't say that I am either. So he said, well, let's, you know, let's, let's find out. I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's find out. But in the meantime, it was about a two-week period from that time. But in the meantime, you know, I got this burden. And I wasn't going to tell my wife, Siobhan or Sherman, until I found out for sure. Because the only three people that I really was concerned about were those three. What is my wife going to say? So that night I decided I better go ahead and tell Sharon. It was just weighing on me. I got to tell Sharon. I better go ahead and tell Sharon, man. So I tell Sharon, and I'm going to tell you something. You want to talk about grace. Man, my wife was awesome. She was awesome. Man, she just, she, she was trying to cheer me up. She saw how messed up I was. And my being messed up wasn't because I was embarrassed. It's because I felt guilty. I felt I had been irresponsible. I had been reckless and irresponsible. And I was reaping what I had sown. And I, you know, and it wasn't a bad thing because let me tell you, this cat dealer, he's awesome. Awesome. I got four awesome grandsons, an awesome daughter-in-law. So, man, it's awesome. I'm looking at all this stuff. Said, man, life, this, this is, oh, boy, this, this was heavy. And my wife was great. Sharon was awesome. When we, when we got the results back from the DNA test, it was kind of funny because Dylan sent me the results. He told me the results on the text message. So I read the text message, and the text message said, the test results say that it's a 99.9999% chance that you are the father. <laughs> so, so I read, I'm reading the text message, and Sharon's a Seahawks fan. You would have thought the Seahawks just scored in the Super Bowl. My wife is jumping up and down, screaming, excited about this. She's excited about it. So I had to talk to my daughter, talk to my other son, Sherman, and, man, they've been gracious to me also. They've been gracious to me also. So, man, I've been blessed. I, I've been truly blessed in this story. The, the process I want to say that God took me through, when I first heard about it, I didn't want it to be true because I wanted to get rid of the guilt because I felt so guilty. Being irresponsible is never neutral. Irresponsibility is never neutral. Because someone always becomes responsible for what you've been irresponsible for. And my father had taught me about being responsible. And so I was feeling guilty about being irresponsible. So God, through that two-week process from the time that we found out that, you know, we, you know, Dylan called me to we got the results of the DNA test, God took me through this process where I was feeling guilty. You know, the song, Joy, pain may endure for night, but joy comes in the morning. God allowed me to deal with the pain. 
God allowed me to deal with the godly sorrow. It was God. Some, so, so many times we want to run right to the grace and we forget about what the grace was applied to. Why did God need to apply some grace to this over here? So, I, you know, God took me through that process. So, so here it is, man. I'm, I'm hoping. Boy, I sure hope he's not mine. Not because I don't want him to be my son, but because I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I got to get rid of this guilt. Where one morning I woke up and I, God put it on my heart. Stop being so selfish. Stop thinking about yourself. Think about him. What he's going through. What the questions that he wants answered. And God changed my heart. Man, okay. Man, you know, maybe I, would, maybe I am. You know what? Okay. To the point when the day, it probably was the day before Dylan called and gave me the information that I went from I hope not, so I don't have to feel guilty. Okay, let me think about him. To when he called and got the results, I was hoping I was his father. I said, man, I hope I'm his father. And so when God has blessed me with this picture. Joyce, let's, let's run those pictures through there so we can take a look at this. So that's my son, D, 45 years old. Now, the only joke that came out of this was from my wife. As, as I told her the story, as I told, because when I told my wife, I said, Sharon, I got to tell you something. I got a bomb dropped on me today. So I told Sharon the story, and so... I think the only, thing, the only joke I gave at that point was, well, I'm glad he's 45 and not 25. And Sharon said, yeah, because we'd be having a different conversation <laughs> if he was. So, so she, she let me know that right now. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that grace now. I don't know. We didn't, that grace would have really got check, checked out then. <laughs> so now that's Dylan and Siobhan. And so we met at uh, Hattie B's, had some nice hot chicken wings and all that, you know. So that's dealing with uh, Siobhan, my daughter. And so those of you, my daughter always joking talking about people don't know that I, that, that's my daughter right there. That's my daughter. I tell her, anyone that doesn't know, that says they know us and don't know you're my daughter, then they don't know us. That's my daughter right there. And then that's my youngest son, Sherman, right there. He, him and dealing together in uh, Charlottesville where he went up and met, met, met with him right there. And then, so you can see the resemblance right there. Boy, they look good just like their dad. <laughs> and then there's the family. So there's my, my, my grandsons from right to left. That's Desan. That's Dylan the second. Desan's 15. That's Dylan the second. He's 18. That's Day. He's 13. So back there, that's little DM. He'll be two years old in May. And that's my, my older son, Dylan, his wife, Darnell, and my bride right there. So God has blessed me. So all of that, you know, you get that message, man, about, hey, not being discouraged, not being distracted. You know, God put a ribbon on this story. God's grace. So I tell you, there's four reasons why you tell it, because it, it should encourage you. God's grace should encourage you. It should challenge you. Young people, you don't want this to happen to you. It should warn you that it can happen to you. If, and I told a friend of mine, I said, only way it doesn't happen to you is if you don't have sex outside of marriage. And don't be telling me I had sex outside of marriage, but I use protection. There is no protection for you when you're out of the will of God. You want God's best. <laughs> you got to do it God's way. Also, there's a word of instruction. Also, there's a word of instruction. 1 John 1, 9. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and forgive, forgive us of all unrighteousness. So, man... All sin, God's grace is applied to everything. My cousin sent me a text message after he had talked to Dylan. He said, man, I talked to Dylan, man. He said, he's a classy guy, man. And I texted him back and I said, grace, grace, 
God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. I said, this is grace here. So I said, man, God's grace, he'll forgive us. But then there's another word, Psalms 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, not only was this sin, was this forgivable, but it was also preventable. It's preventable. So I know God put a ribbon on this. God can take a, a mess and make a miracle out of it. God can make lemonade out of it, and he did. And I thank God for his grace, undeserved, great family. When he called and, and talked to me and told me that, he said, Dad, he said, Coach, because he called me Coach, he said, Coach, I don't want anything from you. He said, I don't want any, he said, I'm not mad or anything. I don't want anything from you. He said, if you're my father, great. We'll build on our relationship. If you're not my father, great. We already have a relationship. So this cat is cool. So I'm looking forward to the time that he can come here and, and you can meet him. Uh, but he, he's, he's, he's the real deal. So in all that message, I hope you don't forget the message for that right there. But I just want you to know about God's grace in that. And let me close us in prayer real quick here. Father God, thank you so much that you are God and beside you there is no other. Thank you for your grace. Lord, every experience belongs to the church. And Lord, that's why I come to share. We share stories. We share our experiences so that other believers, Lord, we can be encouraged. That's why you said we encourage each other all the more as we come together. So I share this with my church family, dear God. Share your word with them, dear God, that you tell us to be strong, courageous, and obedient because of your promise, because of your word, because of your presence. You tell us don't be discouraged, distracted, don't be deceived, don't doubt, don't be fearful, don't make up stuff to trust you so that we can possess what you have promised us. We want your best in everything we do. So I pray today, dear God, as we leave this place, that we can answer that question, Lord, and we can say, dear God, you're getting what you paid for. I'm going to give you all I got. I'm going to apply your word. I'm going to apply your truth. Lord, you are my cornerstone. You're the foundation of my life. I seek to know you and walk with you. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 amen.